Hi, everybody, and welcome to RV Miles, your home for RV and camping news, reviews, travel guides, and more. I'm Jason. And I'm Abby. And this is episode 78 of the RV Miles podcast. You can find today's show notes over at rvmiles.com slash podcast. And as always, RV Miles is across social media. Just search RV Miles. And Jason and I, along with Jack, Ethan, and Henry, and of course, Wanderbus, are at ourwanderingfamily.com. And we are also all across the interwebs. Just search Our Wandering Family. Have you ever been at a dealership, whether it be for an RV or a vehicle, and been pressured to get an extended warranty? On this episode, we're going to talk with Stacy Ritchie Roman from Wholesale Warranties about extended warranties on RVs, whether they're worth it, what you should get, what you should be looking for, whether you should buy from the dealer, a whole lot of great information that I think a lot of people, including myself, might not know about getting an extended warranty. Get that pen and paper out. You're going to want to take some notes. We're also going to talk a bit about visiting public lands for newbies. We have a friend, Taryn, who reached out to us asking us if we could sort of cover this topic a little bit. She and her family are not outdoorsy people, and they they want to give it a try, but they don't know where to start. So we asked for some tips from the RV Miles Facebook group, and we've got some of our own. So that's coming up on the second segment of the show. Uh, and we've got news and a new brain teaser, a whole lot more. But first, this episode is sponsored by L.L. Bean. This year, L.L. Bean is joining up with the National Park Foundation, the official nonprofit partner of the National Park Service, to help you find your happy place in an amazing system of more than 400 national parks, including historic and cultural sites, monuments, preserves, lakeshores and seashores that dot the American landscape, many of which you'll find just a short trip from home. L.L. Bean is proud to be an official partner of the National Park Foundation. Discover your perfect day in a park at findyourpark.com. We are coming to you this week from... Hoth. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I mean Kansas City, Missouri. From very cold, cold, cold (laughs) Kansas City. Now, it's not as bad here as it is where we just were in Northern Illinois. Or Chicago. Negative 11. I think Chicago is negative 25 with the wind chill. It's been coined to Chiberia up there right now. It's so cold. Yeah. I'm very thankful to be just here in the warmth of Kansas City, Missouri, where it's just in the single digits. And apparently that's warm. (laughs) We're looking forward to getting back on the road next week, heading south towards Texas. And uh, we're going to spend a good amount of time, maybe five, six weeks doing a big circle tour of the state of Texas. We think we have, you know, we don't, we have no idea. We haven't figured it all out yet. We'll, all I we'll know, get there. <laughs> all I know is that my flip flops miss me. We need to have a reunion. So we're going to make that happen. Oh, shorts. It's not that warm in Dallas yet though. So no, it's, it's not, but considering what we've been a part of for the last three or four weeks, it's going to feel like the tropics to us probably. All right, let's get right into the news. Of the big news just breaking uh, just before we record this episode. This on is the Friday. second week in a row we've had breaking news. By the way, <laughs> the uh, the government shutdown is is ending temporarily. A, a three week ceasefire has been called while uh, negotiations continue to put an actual budget together for the federal government. So national park rangers uh, and of course all the other public land 
rangers and officials and employees will be back to work very shortly. Hopefully, um, tomorrow, hopefully, well, I don't know how many will be back tomorrow, but we'll, Saturday. we'll see. Well, some people have to come back yeah. to work. Somebody has got to do. Well, the Senate just, the Senate <laughs> just passed the resolution as we're, we're speaking. I imagine the house is going to tonight. And then, uh, I think a lot of people will be back to work tomorrow. So, that's great news if you're visiting national parks, but still remember that uh, they've been under shutdown. There's going to be some work to clean them up, to get them ready to go again. There's going to be volunteer efforts and all that. But also remember that we could be under another shutdown in three weeks. Yeah. So February 15th is the cutoff date again for this Um this hold that we're all in. So if you have plans and you're going, know that the parks are going to be staffed. There's going to be people there. If you are going after February 15th, you may be facing again a hold. We We, don't know. We do expect there to be a a massive backup in trying to get reservations for this year. If you are planning on going to recreation.gov or trying to call and get reservations for national park or other federal campgrounds that they uh, service, you may have a hard time in the next few days, but you should get those reservations as soon as possible in case we end up under another, you know, 30 day shutdown, which hopefully won't happen. I was just thinking that uh, your job tonight would be really fantastic. It's Friday, by the way, your job tonight would be really fantastic is the minute that site is up, you get in there and get some of those campgrounds that we need So that we at least have them because we are trying in 2019. I know everyone, don't be too shocked. We are trying in 2019 to maybe book our camping a little bit further in advance. Maybe not 48 hours before we arrive, maybe four to eight days before we arrive. Well, we need to book some of those big places that we want to go that fill up for sure. We sure do. So, so maybe I'll look into that tonight. I got to, I got to edit this podcast though. (laughs) You you don't have enough things to do tonight. I have like a laundry list of things we need to do, but I feel like we need to move campground reservations at least to like to the five spot. I I imagine the website's not going to totally open back up until the morning, but we'll see. We'll stay up all night and just keep checking. Uh, Okay. Next in the news, we want to give you an update on the situation happening up at Irwinheimer Road Track that we mentioned last week. There was a big report of a scandal brewing up there where potentially, allegedly, the CEO and the CFO and the COO, uh, some other people, may have been involved in a, in a big scheme to embezzle uh, a lot of money by faking sales, by, by faking invoices for, for new, mo- new motorhomes. And we also mentioned last week that that company, Erwinheimer, the global company, is being purchased by Thor, which is the largest manufacturer in America. Thor will become the largest manufacturer in the world when this goes through. What was announced over this past week is that Thor has negotiated now to drop Erwinheimer North America, including uh, Road Trek, which is their, one of their big nameplate brands, from that deal. And, and that's causing a, an interesting situation where... Now you've got a uh, a major brand road track of Class B RVs, not owned by the parent company that it's that is purchasing it. So there's a lot of people that are concerned about about their warranties. There's a lot of people concerned about their RVs that they've ordered and they're waiting for to be built. 
And there's a lot of people concerned uh, whether they want to buy one at all. They were planning on buying a road track or or a Heimer motorhome, and they don't know if they should. Well, my biggest concern, I have to say, is for the employees of, of Farmer North of America. Course. Now, what does this mean for them? How do they move forward with really no one guiding them at the moment? You know, Thor is not going to step in. They have lost all or a majority of their major leadership within the company. I know that we have heard production is continuing, that the plant is open, but who's driving the ship? And then what do you do to make up the deficit? You know, I, there's just this part of me that feels like they wouldn't have taken this deal with Thor if there wasn't some way to try and save the brand on the back end. Well, the thing is, Thor needed, they needed to, Thor is a public company. And they got to protect their stock price. So they, they needed to move quickly and make an announcement really quickly. And they did. Now, the sale isn't finalized. The sale won't be finalized until like late March, I think. So Erwinheimer Global is still a company that is not owned by Thor. They have laid off some managers or they have suspended some managers is what their official statement is. And they have sent people from Erwinheimer Global to come in and try to write the ship. Over 100 employees were laid off of the 1,000 employees uh, about a week and a half ago. And a lot of those were new hires because the company was ramping up production. There's two ways I think this can go. Either once all is said and done, once they figure out what happened, Erwinheimer North America will be worth a different amount than it was worth before, right? It'll be worth less, whatever that is. It's going to be less. At that point, Thor will then make another deal to to add that back on because that was part of the intellectual property, uh, the, all the designs for the motorhomes and, and the names that they wanted. Now, another option that could happen is that Erwinheimer figures that this company has been dragged under so much that they just start shoveling off all their debt into it and spin it off into liquidation. And at that point, then what would probably happen is that the road track name and the designs for the motorhomes would be sold to some company and they may not end up being produced in Kitchener, Ontario, where they are now. And a lot of people might be out of jobs. Either way, it's a little bit grim for Erwinheimer North America at the moment. And really, I think those that have road tracks purchased and are waiting to see if they're going to get them, I, I would be curious to see just exactly how long the backlog is. I think that once they get in there and if the reports and the numbers of the alleged embezzlement are correct, this has a potential to be utterly devastating for this company. I don't think it's going to take very long, though. I think we'll know no. in a few days. So if you're looking to buy, if you're worried about your current motorhome, whatever it is, I think it's not going to take long and you'll know more information really soon. Yeah, no, they have to move fast. They absolutely have to move fast. The brand itself is too hot to continue to let the story spin. The longer this story spins, the more their brand is hurt. I mean, that's just general PR 101. Like you've got to get it under control. You've got to get the information out there and you have to show forward momentum. Longer you take to do that, the more damage it takes to get back to square one. Yeah. And of course, because of the sale and the sale to a public company, they can't say much without it being concrete. So they have to wait for their audits to be finished before they can actually 
spit out what's going on. They're going to have to hire some really shiny PR firm to come in and just completely rehab their image. Well, hopefully it all turns out well. We're we're crossing our fingers for all of the employees up there in Kitchener, Ontario. All right. uh, Final piece of news. We want to mention our latest episode of the America's National Parks podcast is out. We hope you'll check it out. This one is on the Walker sisters. This is a family of uh, of sisters. There were six of them and one died off there, but there are five essentially that ended up living on a homestead and uh, providing for themselves completely for 40 years in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, sort of defying the the takeover of land to create the national park. Yeah, a they, bit. they said not today, FDR. It's not happening. <laughs> you don't get this. You don't get this land. You can go and stand at Newfound Gap all you want. You can't have our home. So it's a really interesting story. And it surprised me that when we talked about the Great Smoky Mountains that we have gone, you know, our one year anniversary for America's National Parks is coming up fairly soon in the next probably six or seven episodes. We haven't touched the Great Smoky Mountains yet. Yeah, we've we've mentioned it on a couple of the the Ranger Makes a Difference episodes, yeah. but we've never had a full episode uh, that takes place there. And it uh, um, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park is the most visited park by double the next one down the ladder. It's amazing. And. As I was doing this podcast, as I was reading what you had written and learning more about the Walker sisters, I was pulled back to the Smoky Mountains. You know, we had been there about four years ago uh, prior to getting on the road full time. And this was a portion of the park that we missed. You can still hike to the Walker sisters cabin. It's about a mile hike. And we did not get a chance to do this. And this has really driven my desire to go back to the park and explore this hike and go to their cabin because they sound absolutely incredible. Yeah, it was really our first national park trip as a family. It was. Uh, and it was it was pretty special. We were tent camping at the time. It rained a heck of a lot. It rained when we arrived. And we put the tent up in the rain. I made macaroni and cheese for the kids in the rain. It was dark. It was a very typical Epperson arrival to a campground. Maybe that's <laughs> why we ended up being RVers. <laughs> maybe. Maybe that's why we did it. Maybe that's why tent life just ended up not working out so well for us. We never seemed to be able to do it, A, uh, when it was daylight, and B, when it was not raining. So, but regardless, that was still a pretty magical trip for our family. So that's the news for the week. Make sure you check out rvmiles.com every day. We are often posting new news items and you can get them there often before we tell you them here, but we'll always round them up on the podcast. Good job, babe. Nice sell there. Erwinheimer should hire you. <laughs> We're going to take a break and we'll be right back with the answer to last week's brain teaser. We're back with the answer to last week's brain teaser, which went like this. This is kind of a long one. Well, not that long. This is an educational one. This is a school one. It's only long the longer you keep talking. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> now, this one dates back to when I was a kid. No. <laughs> back when you had to walk uphill to get to school and uphill <laughs> to get home mm-hmm, through the snow. 
Last week, the local primary school was visited by the government school inspector, who was there to check that teachers were performing well in their respective classes. He was very impressed with one particular teacher. The inspector noticed that each time the class teacher asked a question, every child in the class put up their hands enthusiastically to answer it. More surprisingly, whilst the teacher chose a different child to answer the questions each time, the answers were always correct. Why would this be? So the children were instructed to all raise their hands whenever a question was asked. Okay, so that's the easiest thing. Did not matter whether they knew an answer or not. If they did not know the answer, they would raise their left hand. If they knew the answer, they would raise their right hand. Then the teacher would choose a different child each time, but always ones with their right hand raised. Sneaky teacher. Smart kids. Our winner this week is Claire Donaldson from Illinois, who will be receiving a Not All Who Wonder Our Lost t-shirt. You'll have a chance to win yours at the end of the show with a new brain teaser. Okay, we have a, a great topic that we want to cover that that uh, that comes from our, our friend Taryn. And we we go way back with Taryn, back to... Back to Columbia back College, to Col- Chicago College. days, musical theater department, Taryn's tapping a- and dancing and singing and jazz hands and all of it. Tar- I, I remember actually Taryn was in, a, there was a musical review that we did where she, she's, she's a small. She's petite. I don't think she's, she's, she's petitely she's petite. fierce. I don't think she was, she would be offended if I said that. Um, and she just did a raging Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. <laughs> I, Man, that was good. <laughs> I believe it. Anyway, so we're going to get to her question in a moment. But first, this segment is sponsored by Go Sun. When you're out camping in the wild, miles from the nearest propane or electrical hookup, every bit of energy and fuel matters. With Go Sun solar cookers, you can cook full hot meals without propane, without electricity, without wood. Go Sun cookers trap the sun's rays to steam bake, roast, and boil, even when it's cloudy, using special reflectors to grab available heat and trap it in a borosilicate glass tube where food cooks at up to 550 degrees. Three different models offer the perfect combination of portability and cooking capacity. Visit gosun.co, that's C-O, and use the code RVMILES for 15% off Go Sun Solar Cookers. Support this small Cincinnati-based company looking to change the way the world cooks with free energy and no harmful smoke or emissions. That's gosun.co and use the code RVMILES, one word, for 15% off. All right, so Taryn wrote me saying, have you ever thought of having one podcast episode for families who aren't RV folks but are interested in taking their family to some park or the best way to do that? That's all to say we're not nature outdoor people, but do want to share things like that with the girls. And I have no concept of the easiest or best way to go about that. I mean, can you tailor an episode for my specific needs? (laughs) (laughs) And absolutely we can, Taryn. We're very happy to. So what we did, we sort of took this to our friends over in the RV Miles Facebook group. And, and got a bunch of comments from them that we can talk about here on there. So we're going to run through some of those. But first, let's just sort of give our tip for, for people who are new to visiting the outdoors. They want to go to a national park or they want to go to a state park or some other public land 
what are some of the things that they need to think of first? My first tip would be to say, don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid to try. It doesn't have to be epic. It doesn't have to be big. You don't have to go far. You can go as far as your neighborhood park. You can go check out uh, your botanical garden. You can go check out a forest preserve nearby. Look what you have around you first and use that as your beginning steps. You don't have to have a ton of gear. You don't have to be tricked out. No, you don't have to buy anything, really. No, you don't. You don't have to have fancy hiking pants or hiking boots. You don't have to have hiking poles or backpacks. But what you do have to have is some water. <laughs> like, you know, you know your kids. I mean, when we go hiking with our boys, everybody has to have a snack. Even if they tell me that they are not hungry, even if they say to me, I will never, ever, ever be hungry again, you can't make me eat, I'm still packing them a snack. Because 10 minutes into the trail, I'm going to hear, I'm hungry. Like, you're just going to hear it. Like, all of a sudden, they see nature and they get hungry. So there's a couple things I would say you're just going to go over to your forest preserve and you're going to walk a half mile trail with your family. See how everybody does. Take your bag. If you have a backpack, take it, put water, enough water for everybody in it and bring a snack and just go out and see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a mile trail should, should take you under an hour. Yeah. And you know, Taryn has little ones. Yeah. So Another suggestion would be for anyone with little ones, and we just graduated out of this with Henry, is if you have a carrier, bring a carrier. You know, a great thing to remember is that little feet walk double the steps you do. You know, for every one step you take, they're taking two or three, most likely. So while you may not be tiring on a half mile or a mile track, if this is something that your kids aren't super used to, they might tire easily. And so if you have a little one and you can put them on your back, you can wear them, that's going to prolong your time out on the trail. For us um, with Henry, that's really how we did some of our bigger trails in the beginning was about halfway through, he would end up on my back. And a lot of times he would end up on my back and fall asleep, which was really great because then we could keep going. And obviously... You know, our kids are much older now. They're 11, 8, and 5, and they can last a little bit longer on the trails. But it was really essential in the beginning that we ease into it as a family and and for them as well. Being urban kids, it wasn't something that they were used to, you know. I always just had my double stroller and tossed a kid in the double, you know, tossed two kids in the double stroller and put Jack on the scooter and off we went. The, I also don't want to give the impression we talk a lot about trails on this show and a lot of the advice from uh, the listeners from the group is about trails, but it's not all trails. You know, there's a lot of scenic drives. There's a lot of pulling over and getting out to go to a scenic overlook. You may, mm -hmm. you may walk a quarter mile into that scenic overlook, but no big deal. I think a lot of stuff, same stuff applies, bring the snacks, bring the water, all that. There are places that are water-based. You could go up to Voyagers national park and rent a houseboat and, and putter around up there. I also think that the term trail can be, it can be really broad. It doesn't have to necessarily mean a trail that's going to um, be unpaved and, and take you into the backcountry somewhere. You know, I'm thinking already in my mind of what I consider a trail in Chicago is the trail that runs along the lakefront. 
it's totally paved, Mm -hmm. but it's a beautiful, it's miles and miles of paved, um, sidewalk paved trail that goes, you know, all the way from up North to, and it, it connects you all the way to downtown and then can connect you to the South side as well. It's beautiful. I consider that a trail. I consider that a trail because it's taking me from one place and leading me to another. Yeah. Without a car. I mean, without a car. Absolutely. I'm using my, you know, my feet to get where I want to go. So depending on your location, you know, be willing to um, open your mind up a little bit and don't feel like you have to be boxed in where, oh, I have to be on this trail that's unpaved and it's got to take me away from civilization. And that's the only way I'm really hiking with my family. I think anytime you're just out with your family, out with your partner or with a friend and you are on a trail and you are walking and you are experiencing nature in whatever form it is, that to me is hiking. So if you are taking a uh, a vacation or just a day trip, whatever it is, it is nice to prepare and, and know a little bit about the place you're going to if it's not just a, a, a local bike path or something. So uh, a lot of our listeners had some suggestions about that. Howard mentions to find out about the different hiking levels before you start to start your hike. So the different uh, trail levels, whether it's easy or moderate or, or difficult, that's really important to know because, because, you know, little kids have a hard time with anything above easy. Yes. And one of the best ways to do that is obviously if you can talk to a park ranger someone who works in the visitor center of the trail that you're about to get on. Now I will add to that, (laughs) that we have done that and we have spoken to rangers before and we have said, you know, we're hiking, we want a family hike. We've got these kids. What do you recommend? And of course I'm flashing back to voyagers and we ended up on a trail that uh, was much longer than we thought it was going to take. Wasn't quite as Uh, Maybe our definition of family friendly was a little different than the definition of that particular rangers. We still had a great time, but it challenged us because it was longer. And I would definitely consider it more of a medium as opposed to an easy hike. So take a look if you can get your hands on a map, if you can get your hands even on the website Take a look at the options there. They're usually going to be rated. And then when you speak to someone, you can say, I'm thinking about uh, these three hikes. Given that we are new to hiking, what would be your opinion on these three that would be best for us today? And it's great to check in with the ranger station or, or whatever the visitor center is at the public land you're going to, but you don't have to wait till you get there. You can always call ahead of time as well. And you can get a lot of this information too off of all trails. If you're really looking at trails, there's an app and a website and all trails is going to have reviews from people who've done these trails and they're going to give you an idea of what they're really, really like. You can also look at YouTube videos. A lot of people do YouTube videos of their hikes and you can literally see then is it going to be something that you guys can manage? It's amazing that there seems to be a YouTube video for everything now. There is. There's just a YouTube video. Except the thing you want. <laughs> Except that one thing you really, really need. That's a great suggestion, though, just to watch a couple of videos, see what the trails might look like if you're still feeling a little anxious. I love um, the suggestion, too, about someone had talked about using guidebooks. And I know that that feels like maybe an um, outdated way of you know finding information now that we have the Internet and 
you know, you can just go and search for stuff. But to me, sometimes I think like just getting your hands on a book is a really great way to learn a little bit more about a park. You know, they're going to have maybe some details in there and break it down, especially ones that are for family hiking. Like we have had a couple books, you know, in our lifetime that are specifically geared towards families. And those books, you know, someone's already done the work for us, yeah. right? They've already gone out and they've done it. And then we have this book in our hands and we can just kind of go through it and sit down and look to it. I mean, I will always go for a book before I go for the internet. But the problem with that is that you sometimes run the risk that the book is outdated. And sometimes you run the risk of getting a book that has too much information about too many places. So the information is just going to be like a blurb about each place that you want to go. And you want, you really want some more details uh, than that. Lorraine says, if you're older or new to hiking, get hiking sticks. Really? They made it possible for me to hike faster and more confidently. I can get down makeshift steps and slopes more easily. I can, I think I can hike longer too, but there's no way to really tell. No double blind study, just my feeling. And Lorraine is, is absolutely right. I was so anti-hiking sticks for a while, but they really do make a big difference in your endurance, especially if there's uphills or if there's sort of rocky climbs, anything like that. I like them too because, and again, I'm just going to go back to this topic of baby wearing, but I also like them too for the steadiness that if you're wearing someone and you are, you know, kind of, it's rocky, it's, you know, you're kind of going up, you're going down, you know, you're um, on a trail that's a, a little bit more active in the way it's laid out. I appreciate tracking poles because I can feel more grounded. You know, I have something to hold on to. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is something that for those of us who do wear our kids out on a trail, we try to be very, very, very mindful of. Yeah. And, you know, again, if you've never been on a hike with your family before, don't go out and buy a bunch of hiking. Oh, no, poles. don't. Don't buy a go a, buy a bunch of hiking boots. You can just wear tennis shoes, no, whatever put everybody it is. in Keens yeah. and just go get on the trail. Like we have talked about Keens time and time and time again. I love that shoe. I love that shoe for my kids when we're hiking, as long as it's not a, a really sandy. Well, even if it's sandy, it doesn't bother me. Um, but you know, those are, those are summer shoes. Just as long as I think, it's, good. Yeah, yeah, it's just gotta be a closed toe. Do not go out there in open toed shoes. Yeah. You know, you need a closed toe. They need to be, because when your kids stumble and stub their toe, because they're going to, it's going to happen. You want that toe protected. Otherwise you're carrying a kid out. Cause they're just going to be like, I'm done. I'm done on this trail. And most of the shorter trails that you're going to start with are going to have boardwalks and wooden stairs and railings built in. You can really find those types of things to try first before you worry about, you know, climbing up scrambles and stuff like that. And you know what I'm thinking about immediately that just comes to mind when I think about beginner, you know, getting out and hiking. I cannot remember the name of this forest preserve, but it was when we were in Oklahoma City. Yeah. And we went and they had a great little visitor center. They had some information about the trails. They even had like trail bingo for the kids. And then they had, I think it was half mile, three quarter mile trail. It was a loop trail. Loop trails are the best. Yeah. I love a loop They're trail. They're way better than out and back. Yes, they are. And it took us out and we had some changing scenery. We had boardwalks to walk on. You know, we had the bingo to do for the kids and it was not a difficult hike, but it, made us feel like we were removed 
from civilization and absolutely something like that is the perfect start out for people learning to hike. Yeah, that was the Martin Martin Park Nature Center. Thank you. And stuff stuff like that where there's some variation along the way. It's not sort of the same thing or that you're just hiking a long way to see one thing at the end. Those are better things to start off with. Yeah. Something that gets your kids interest and your interest the whole route. Uh, James mentions to stop by the by the visitors center. Even if you don't plan on hiking to the backcountry, you'll get a wealth of information from the rangers. Uh, Tracy says that they love to get out and travel and spend time in their RV, and that's great. But there's so many parks close to you that are worth exploring. We could not agree more. Check with your local county extension office. They're likely guided hikes or education opportunities for you to learn about the ways to become involved in your local area. That's super great advice. Go on a guided hike. Find a hike where you're going to have a tour. We went on a great guided hike, Pierre Marquette State yes. Park in Illinois. Uh, it was a nighttime owl hunt. Okay. There were no uh, owls. Okay. First, <laughs> yes, it was an awesome guided hike. It was sold as a family hike here. This is, again, this is you live and learn. That was the hike that never ended it was well we were out for what three it was three hours it was what it was like midnight before before we got back the gentleman that led the hike was you know doing owl calls and trying to get owls to fly over us he was working really hard or to hear them or whatever and then he would play tapes and and he couldn't get any we would stop for several minutes at a time about 40 of us and and wait in silence in the dark with well, all of our lights off. <laughs> I'm not trying to shortchange a guided hike. This one was too long because probably the last half hour was spent. And it was a huge group of us, a huge group of families and children of all ages. The last half hour was easily children just melting yeah. down. It was past bedtime. They, so, so maybe don't take one past maybe, bedtime. Maybe, maybe take don't. a daytime one. Yeah, maybe Check don't how do. long it's going to be because this <laughs> yeah. one was a lot longer than it was supposed to yeah, be. Maybe ones where you're trying to get wildlife to come to you is not yeah. the best way to start. Well, and there are a lot of them that are specifically for kids. And I would I would look at those first. Tracy also mentions to take the back roads Get off the interstate and simply drive the back roads. If you go slow enough, you'll see lots of opportunities for exploring. That's absolutely true. Uh, couldn't agree with that more. Gene says, even on the shortest hike, take essentials like water and snacks, headlamp, jacket, check the weather before you head out and know that it can change rapidly. And that's very true. You need to know what the weather is if you're going to be out for a few hours, you need to know, you know, if it's going to, if you're heading out at like three o'clock, you need to know when sunset is, you need to have a turnaround time, that sort of stuff. That's why we say start off with a one mile oh, round yeah. trip, nature walk. A lot of, a lot of these places, they're going to call it a nature walk. That's the simple, usually wheelchair accessible, usually pets allowed route that you can go and not be worried that you're going to. You know, well, you can take your time, too, because little people, big people, people in general, we like to stop and we like to look at things and examine. And you don't want to feel the pressure of we got to go. We got to go. We got to go because we've been there and that's a miserable hike. So pick something where you're going to be OK. I've got X amount of hours to do this. 
I'm going to pick something that's, you know, realistic inside that time frame. All right. So those are sort of our tips for getting out there the first time. Just do it. Just go. Just make like Nike and just do it. <laughs> just do it. <laughs> it. It will absolutely be worth it. And, you know, uh, check the weather, plan, plan alternatives if the weather's going to be bad, all like that sort of home. stuff. Uh, <laughs> but get out there and do it. All and right. let us know if you do go, Taryn. We want to know. We want to hear about yeah. it. If you would like to have conversations like this with us, we're going to be doing this a little bit more and grabbing your comments from the RV Miles Travel Forum on Facebook. Please go join the RV Miles Facebook group. We'd be very, very happy to have you all there. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about warranties, extended warranties on RVs. Some really great information when we come back. All right, we are back. And I got to say, this is a topic that really speaks to me because I think we got a little hosed on the warranty for our minivan. You think? Uh, I we know. got a little hosed on <laughs> the warranty did. for our minivan that we bought a few years ago. Uh, we made a mistake uh, in in getting, you know, this is what happens. You, you're sitting there and with the finance person at the dealership, whether it's an RV or, or a, a car. And uh, you haven't talked about extended warranties yet. And at the last minute, they throw in there, well, you know, we could add this extended warranty on. It's only going to cost you a few bucks a month. And, uh, and you know, you look at the details and you're like, well, you know, that's... The what I, ifs I, yeah, start I mean, it's really flying around. It's this much. And, and you don't have the time to check into the warranty and know anything about it. And... Well, we had our minivan and never had an issue that required warranty work until the final month of the warranty. And we had a $700 repair done and they didn't cover it just because they said they weren't going to. And we tried to fight it. And, you know, this is like a cut rate warranty company that we ended up buying into and and shouldn't have. It was Bush League. So it's just it's. <laughs> It's even all these years later, it's just still Bush League. So you have options other than the dealership. And one of those options is to not get a warranty. I want to say that right off the bat. One of those options is to just save your money for repairs. Right. Just take that money and put it into a savings account. Absolutely. Now, there are some really expensive repairs that are worth covering. I mean, people have spent over $20,000 replacing or overhauling a diesel engine. And no warranty is going to cost you that much. And if you're just warranting a trailer, it's not going to cost you anywhere near the amount it's going to cost you to warranty something that's got an engine in, in a transmission. So there are companies like Wholesale Warranties that provide a service where they will hook you up with an aftermarket extended warranty. Now, Wholesale Warranties is a broker. They have different options for warranties. It's not just one company you've got got. A lot of different warranties to choose from. And we had Stacy Ritchie Roman on uh, in an interview 
with me to sort of discuss some of those options and why you need an extended warranty, what they cover, all that great stuff. So without any further ado, here is my interview with Stacy Ritchie Roman from Wholesale Warranties. Stacy, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'd like to start with getting an idea of why somebody needs an extended warranty. Why is the manufacturer's warranty not enough? Sure. So uh, with manufacturer's warranties, uh, to start there, there are a lot of limitations with those and they don't last forever. Uh, with a manufacturer warranty, if we're talking a motorhome, you've got your engine coverage for usually up to five years. Your coach coverage is only going to be that first year. And that's the stuff that breaks the most often. Um, on top of that, the cost of repair has just been skyrocketing over especially the last couple of years. When we think of how involved a modern RV is, how much mechanical and technological components are in each one of those RVs, the demand for really technologically savvy repair has just gone up. There's more RVers on the road and they're traveling more often, which means stuff is breaking down more often. So we actually see uh, by only your second year on the road, about 30% of RVs will have a major mechanical breakdown. By the time you're in your eighth year or if you're going right into a used vehicle, uh, you're pretty much guaranteed to, to suffer a mechanical breakdown. And when you do, those, those costs are only going up. Now, one of one of the comments that I've seen often out there is that it's hard to get warranty work done because they're because repair shops are so backed up and a lot of dealerships are only accepting vehicles that were bought at that dealership to get repaired. So if you're 300 miles away, you may have an issue or if you if you're in your RV and, and you can't be without it for for several weeks. Is there a difference in an aftermarket extended warranty or a, a dealership extended warranty when it comes to that? And I guess just in general, what's the difference in getting an extended warranty from a dealership or from an aftermarket source? Sure. So the great thing about a, an extended warranty and aftermarket warranty, especially the policies like the ones we offer and a lot of dealership policies as well, is you're not tied down to any specific repair facilities. Um, I can speak for the policies we offer. You can take it to any licensed repair facility in the United States or Canada. Um, and that includes mobile mechanics as well. So if you are a, a full-timer or you're set up in a campground and you don't want to leave, have that mobile tech come out to you. Um, with some of the dealership policies, they will require that if you're in a 100 mile radius, usually they'd like you to bring the vehicle back to that dealership with a, a broker or an online provider like us. Uh, we don't have a dealership. We can't repair your vehicle. So we're not going to tie, tie you down to anything like that. Uh, we're going to let you take it to anybody you feel comfortable with. So what are some of the pitfalls that people need to look for when they're looking at the different warranty options out there? So one of the things you definitely want to do is uh, look at who's offering you that policy um, and see what other RVers have to say. So have they made claims? How did that go when they made claims? Did the promises that they told you when they were selling you the product, did they fulfill on those at the end of the day? Uh, a good way to do that is just online research. RVers are a, a really solid community and they talk a lot about 
all of the different products. They review uh, services and service centers and things like that. And so if you go online and you look at the blogs and the forums and you are looking for the name of the person that's selling you, the company that's selling you, the RV warranty, the name of the warranty itself, you should get some comments back. You should be able to find people that have used that policy and seen how their claims went. Um, another thing that you want to look for with any policy is to make sure it's fully insured. So what that means is there is a solid insurance backer that's going to be there to pay for the claims if the person who sold you the policy goes out of business, and even if the administrator of the policy goes out of business. Um, a fully insured policy is the only one that you want to get. Uh, the alternative would be a risk retention group, um, and when those run out of money or decide that they don't want to pay claims anymore, they disappear and you don't have anybody that's going to be there to back up the coverage that you've purchased. The other thing that you want to do is just look at um, the RV industry, look at clubs like the FMCA, Escapees RV Club, see who they recommend. That's a really good way to go about finding a policy that you know is going to be there for you when you need it. Um, and always just do your consumer research that way. So let's talk about the actual warranties themselves. There are different options out there, right? So some cover certain types of stuff and some don't. What should people be looking for in terms of what actually is covered on their RV? Sure. So the basic uh, rule of RV warranties, they're built to cover the working mechanical components of your vehicle. And so uh, going into it, a realistic expectation of coverage is going to be the uh, big ticket items like your engine, transmission, powertrain, um, or if you have a towable RV, those big ticket items tend to be things like your air conditioning units, hot water heaters, uh, microwaves, refrigerators, slide out mechanisms. So it is set to to cover those those working mechanical components on your vehicle. Now, within that, there are layers of coverage. So if you want to save a lot on the premium of the policy and really just protect yourself from the really big ticket items like a, a diesel engine, there's a really low level of coverage that's just going to cover your powertrain components. Uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have a policy called an exclusionary RV warranty. That's the most comprehensive warranty on the market. If you do not want to worry about paying for RV repairs, that's the policy you want to go with. It's going to be there pretty much anything uh, working mechanical in your vehicle. Um, things from, like I said, your microwaves right up to your diesel engine. So like if, as far as I understand it, an exclusionary policy lists the stuff that's not covered where an inclusionary policy lists the stuff that is covered. So exclusionary is going to be the best, even though it sounds like a worse word, right? Right. It can kind of be confusing to go into it that way. Um, and some of the policies, they don't even tell you what they are going to cover because the only thing that matters is that list of exclusions. Um, and so that can be kind of disconcerting when you go into it. And um, exclusionary does sort of sound negative. So on an exclusions list, you're going to find items that you wouldn't expect to be covered by a warranty. So that's going to be your aesthetic items like uh, flooring, glass, um, anything that's covered by your comp and collision insurance. So damages due to accident or weather um, and maintenance items. So $5 belts and, and hoses and things like that. You're going to find on there that they are going to cover your oil changes um, and your, your maintenance items. Outside of that, 
any working mechanical component is going to be covered. So that exclusionary policy really does offer uh, the most comprehensive on the market. So it's not going to be as simple as finding the cheapest warranty out there and figuring out it's going to cover everything for you. You really got to look into the details and and see what it's it's going to take care of for you. Otherwise, you could be in a situation where you don't have coverage on something that you thought you did. Exactly. Can you talk a little bit? One of the benefits of of buying a warranty from a dealership is rolling it into the financing. How does the financing of uh, aftermarket uh, extended warranty work? Sure. So rolling it into the financing with the dealership, um, it is a really great benefit. At the end of the day, the amount you pay for the warranty after your financing term is up is usually a lot more than what you're going to find with an online broker or an online provider. But we don't we aren't able to spread things out over 20 years. Right. So when you come to us, we do have a variety of payment plans available. Um, There are some providers that allow you to pay monthly or yearly. What you find with us is that locking in the longest term possible is usually going to be your best value. And we do let you spread out that payment a little bit. Um, So there are definitely options. You don't have to pay everything up front. And we try to work with our customers as much as possible to find not only the the right level of coverage for them, but the right financial plan uh, to make sure that it makes sense for their budget. That's a great segue into your company, Wholesale Warranties. Uh, What's sort of the backstory of Wholesale Warranties and what are the benefits of you guys over some of the other companies? Sure. So Wholesale Warranties was uh, formally founded in 2008 by Jeff Shelton. That's our owner. Uh, He is still in the office every day and very actively involved in Wholesale Warranties. He grew up um, in Minnesota and his family owned marinas there. So he was always kind of in the recreational vehicle industry. Uh, He started selling warranties during college, the kind of the classic way, which as an agent, you would sell a warranty program to a dealership, and then the dealership would then sell to the customer. As he was doing that, he saw that not only were the dealerships charging really unfair amounts sometimes, uh, but there was kind of just too much involved. Why not sell the policies direct to the consumer uh, and let them, you know, find a fair price and fair coverage? And so that's kind of how Wholesale Warranties was born. And something that's been really important to us since day one is education. Customers really deserve to know what type of policy they're getting. We're always going to provide you with a full copy of coverage before we ask for a single dollar. We want you to know the terms and conditions. We want you to know what is and is not covered. Um, And so that transparency and that level of education is something that is really ingrained in how we do business at Wholesale Warranties and I think is a big part of our success. Just the idea that warranty repair is covered for mobile techs, that that alone is such a huge thing that I don't think people might realize that if you don't have that type of coverage and you have to take it into a dealership, that means that means you're in line for, you know, for an appointment from the, all the other repairs. And, and it's no secret that there is a big shortage in RV repair technicians and facilities out there. And people are waiting six months to get their rigs back sometimes. So I, I, that's such a great benefit. Um, I think what you guys lay out is really interesting because you don't get, and I've bought, I've never bought an after uh, a dealership warranty on an RV, but I have on vehicles and I, I have oftentimes not had any information about it whatsoever. You're, you're pressured at that last minute 
to add it on in the financing phase. And they throw it in there and they say, oh, it's only going to cost you an additional, you know, five, six dollars a month. And you say, OK, exactly. great. <laughs> <laughs> and, yep. And then then it doesn't actually cover anything and you can't actually use it. You try to use it and they they deny it and they fight it and they fight it and they fight it before you finally just give up. So um, I think it's great to be able to know something about the company, be able to research it separately and not include it as as part of your buying process of, of your RV. And really kind of on that point too, um, something that we add to our, our customers is when you buy at the dealership, if you do run into that issue where you're going to make a claim and it's not covered and you don't know why and it's frustrating, you're in a repair facility, breakdowns are just a pain and, uh, and you're frustrated. There's nobody you can turn to. You can't go back to that dealership that originally sold you the vehicle and say, Hey, my warranty's really not paying what I thought they should. Can you help me? They're not really in the business to help you with, uh, using your extended warranty. Something that we've built in, um, to our company is an internal claims department. So while we don't actually process claims in house, we do have a staff that is dedicated to helping our customers easily process claims with their warranty. And that is really helpful when it comes down to, well, they ask for 10 hours of labor and the warranty only is paying five. Can you help me out there? We have somebody that's going to step in and you as the customer you don't need to talk to your repair facility. You don't need to be calling the warranty company. We'll act as liaison and get that all figured out for you um, and help make that process as smooth as we possibly can. So you are getting the most out of the policy you've purchased. If somebody wants to check into your company a little bit more and look at the products that you offer, where do they go? Wholesalewarranties.com. Uh, we do offer free quotes. And so even if you don't know a warranty is right for you, there is no harm in getting a, a quote, talking to one of our warranty specialists, getting a little education. So that's wholesalewarranties.com, or you can call us at 800-939-2806. And one more question before we go is, is there any limit to uh, the type of RV or the age of RVs that can get coverage or should get coverage? Uh, yeah, there is. So what we're currently able to offer is we can go back 20 model years on a motorhome um, and 15 model years on a towable RV. So motorhomes class ABC, we have a program for you. Uh, towables, fifth wheel, travel trailer, truck camper, uh, whatever you've got, we've got a program that's going to fit your needs. All right, Stacy, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We'll provide links to wholesale warranties in the show notes as well. And we really appreciate you coming on and giving us some more information about uh, wholesale warranties. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We want to thank Stacy again for being on the show. And we'll have links to wholesale warranties website on the show notes. And we also have an article written by Stacy and wholesale warranties uh, that covers a lot of this stuff that we talked about. So full article, a lot of detail about the different types of warranties, what they cover, why you should get one why you shouldn't, all that great stuff. You can check that out on rvmiles.com. All right, let's wrap this episode up with a brain teaser. Let's do it. Jack and I have got to get to a show. Jack and I are going to the theater tonight. Oh, the theater. Oh, the theater. <laughs> if you throw me from the window, I will leave a grieving wife. Bring me back, but in the door. You'll see someone giving life. What am I? 
If you think you know the answer, send us an email to editor at rvmiles.com or shoot us a message over on Facebook and you might win a Not All Who Wander Our Lost t-shirt. And we'll have the answer on next week's episode. Yes, we definitely will. And want to remind everybody that on Sunday we have RV chat over on Twitter. If you enjoy Twitterverse, then you should come over on Sunday nights and tweet with us. We start at 8 p.m. Central. It's generally led by Jason. I try to pop in every once in a while with our wandering family, but you know, someone's got to keep the monkeys from tearing the place apart. So <laughs> we also want to uh, remind you once again to join the RV Miles Facebook group. We also have the America's National Parks Facebook group. If you are a fan of the national parks, check that one out as well. Yeah. And until next week, you know, if you are enjoying the show, we love a little shout out across to your social media. It is mucho appreciated. And until next week, you guys keep logging those RV miles and we will see you around. Bye. Bye.